So we are in week two of this unplanned Christmas. And I don't know about you, the Christmas time is filled with things that we plan all the time. You probably could be planning your family Christmas party during my sermon, and that's okay. You can do that. You could be planning and writing out your Christmas list, and that's okay. Feel free to do that. Just don't forget your pastor. And you could be planning all of these things where you're going to go. If you're going to visit relatives, planning to approach certain political things or sports team conversations or that kind of stuff. Or where are the kids going to sleep? I mean, that for us, that's like, okay, where are the kids sleeping? I mean, literally, we've been to places where kids sleep in closets, the bathtub, you know, those kinds of things. Just wherever people can uh, find a place for our kids to lay their head. And so there's lots of planning that's going on this time of year. But as you and I both know, there's lots of things that happen that are unplanned. And in fact, they can cause a little bit of frustration uh, behind that. It could be causing us to ask questions like, why? Like, this is the worst timing. Why in the world would this happen to me this time of year? There are people right now in our church who are experiencing things like uh, families who have passed away. There are people in our church right now who are facing some big, big issues in their life. And what a horrible time of year to be doing that. And you look at the Christmas story, and you think, all right, God is the one that orchestrated this Christmas story, okay? It's kind of like when, when, when a, a husband and wife, they know they're expecting, they plan, right? And you want things to be done really, really well. And so you planned what hospital you're going to go to, the doctor, the route, especially if it's your first one, right? You, you take that route several times. What's the best way? You know, it depends on what time of day you're going to go this way or that way or whatever. You've got the bags already packed, you know? And, of course, as child number two and three and four come along, you're like, you know, it'll happen, you know? But especially the first one. And, you know, this is God's first one, right? This is God's first, and the Bible says, only begotten son. And so this is his first, first one. And so he's like, this is my firstborn son. He, he's going to enter into this world, and it's going to be amazing. And if I was God, I would have done things a little bit different. You probably would have as well. Yeah, I remember when um, our second uh, child, Landon, w- was born. We were, you know, we, we thought we were ready. Well, my wife was ready. But I, my, I didn't do my job because my job was to get the nursery ready. And so we had this, we had this room set aside. It was kind of like my office and music room. And, of course, we only had Madison at the time. And so uh, my job was to clean out the office, and I, and I did. I got everything out. And the next thing my, I was supposed to do was paint it, you know, decorate it, get it set up, ready to go, get the crib out of the attic, you know, get all that set up. And so I cleaned it. I'll never forget, I cleaned it in, um, in, in January. It was actually Martin Luther King holiday on a Monday. I was off of school. I was a teacher at the time. And so I'm like, okay, I got that done. We're ready to go. And I was, I was actually visiting uh, a lady in the hospital because I was also on a church staff. And because she, she, she was sick, and so I was visiting her, and I get the phone call that Suzanne's water broke. Five weeks? 
before Landon's due date. Guess who didn't have the nursery ready? Me. My first thought was not, oh, I need to hurry up and get over there. My first thought was that the nursery wasn't ready. And so we have the baby and we had friends that, uh, that came over and, and uh, took care of that nursery and decorated better than we ever thought we could. But we thought we were kind of playing, at least I thought. I was like, man, I got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. It was planned, but yet it was unplanned because we thought he was going to come much later. But no, Landon was way early. I think it's the only time in his life he's been early. But that's okay. We love him. And so, but when God has his firstborn son, you would think things would go out, go smoothly. And according to him, it did, but according to our eyes, it did not, especially in the eyes of Mary and Joseph. And I talked about this last week in, in this unplanned seri uh, series. Uh, it was titled Divine Distractions, because what God did is he provided divine distractions to happen at the time of Christ's birth. In our eyes, we think, and in Mary Joseph's eyes, we're thinking, okay, we, we saw the angel, and we spoke to the angel, and he spoke back to us, and we know it's happening, but God really needs to get his act together. I mean, we're being forced to relocate. Um, we, there's no place to stay. Um, there's a king who wants to kill us, and we're having to go to another country, another culture, another language, far away to escape. I mean, really, God? You, you might want, you, maybe you should have consulted someone, you know, at, at this birth thing. And, but what God was, God was doing was this. He was bringing in his son through a covert, secret mission, impossible operation. Because there's an evil one on this planet who wanted to do everything possible to thwart this plan that God had. And so, through, and you read this, and you listen to the sermon last week, we go into detail about how all of these things were basically a cover-up or a divine distraction. For example, Satan knew the, that the child was going to be born in Bethlehem. He didn't know when. You know, Satan, Satan is, is, is not like God, and he knows everything, and he, he could be everywhere, at every, at anytime, anywhere, everywhere at the same time. He can't. He didn't have that ability. And so he can only figure out what God's next move is, just like us. And so he knew in Scripture, just like we can read in Scripture, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, when that prophecy was told, over 400 years later, Jesus was born. So you look at that divine distraction. God's like, yeah, I'm going to put some time between that prophecy when I bring my son Christ into the world. And so you have that. Then you also have the fact that, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. So Satan is waiting around in Bethlehem. How do you cause a distraction? You cause thousands of people to come to this small town and for a census issued by the Roman government. And so you look at the Christmas story and you're thinking, Oh, I see what you did there, God. I see how you brought in Christ in the dark of night into the secret mission, this covert operation. And he did it, even though it may seem unplanned, it was very much 
planned. You and I can take great encouragement in that, knowing that the, the, the unplanned in our lives are designed by God. The birth of Jesus, yes, it was a, it was a divine distraction, so it could be that the distractions in your life, the unplanned surprises in your life, could very well be divine distractions that God has set up for you. Now, I know in the midst of pain, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of all the emotions, I know it's really difficult to see that in the moment. Probably like Mary and Joseph, it was difficult for, see that, for them to see that in the moment. But as we look at our life, we can rest assured that the divine distractions are there because there is a divine creator. And in fact, he, he, he wants to do things all for the good of those who love him. Bible talks about that. If you love God, you follow after him, everything that happens in our life, it's for the good of those who love him. So if you love him, show your life to him, you're devoted to him, he's going to take care of you even through all the junk. So with these unplanned Christmas items, I want to focus on today with something regarding the Christmas story. And I want us to dig a little bit deeper to how possibly Mary and Joseph could have felt, okay? With all the things that have happened, yes, they, they have felt probably, okay, why, why is this happening? Why is God leaving us? Why is God doing this? But there is something else that they, I am sure, they have felt. And that was they have felt unjust. They, they have felt things to them that they were unjust or unfair. In fact, that's what unjust means, lacking in fairness. Things just weren't fair. There's nothing that Mary and Joseph did to deserve everything that happened to them at Christmas. Nothing. And so there are things in our life that happened to us and we're like, where did that come from? You ever been there? Have you ever been there? Like, wh why, why did this happen? Why did this person say this? Why, did, why is this happening with my job, my family, with where I'm living? Why is all of this happening? I've not done anything to deserve this. This is unfair. This is unjust. So today, our focus is an unjust Christmas, an unjust Christmas. You know, that Christmas may have been a silent night, a holy night, but it was also an unjust night. In fact, an entire Christmas story. So how could it have been unjust? How could it have been unfair? Number one, accusations. Accusations. There were accusations during the Christmas story. Think about it. An angel comes to tell Mary she's pregnant. She's never been intimate with anyone. Of course, Mary had some questions. But check out this conversation in Luke chapter 1, verse 34 through 40. So we're going to look at this and just kind of get it. Now, we, you've read this. We've looked at this. But I want us to get into the feeling of Mary. So Luke chapter 1, verse 34 through 40. It says, how will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? 
The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, her cousin, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to, the, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So Zechariah was Elizabeth's husband. Zechariah was a priest and a very God-fearing family. And so upon hearing the news from Gabriel, Mary went down to see her cousin, which is about 100 miles from Nazareth. And so Elizabeth, as we see, was six months pregnant. Well, we see it in, in later on in that chapter, verse 56, in that chapter, Luke chapter 1, we see this. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. So we see, you do the math, you do the math Elizabeth was already six months pregnant, according to the angel. Mary stayed in the three months. So basically, Mary stayed with her cousin, Elizabeth, during the time until her baby was born. And her baby, by the way, was John the Baptist. And so Mary stayed with Elizabeth. Now, why did Mary stay with Elizabeth? Why did, why did she go all that way and, and spend so much time? With Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was an older cousin, okay? And so um, she, her and, um, and Zachariah, as we just read in Scripture, uh, they, they uh, are receiving their child in their old age, meaning she was barren. She didn't have any children. And so the, the problem is that um, Mary went down, as she went down to Elizabeth, she knew that she was going to be showing at some point. And so she went down to Elizabeth, stayed for, stayed for nine months up until the time of, of John the Baptist, and then she went back home. Now, as she went back home, you can imagine three months pregnant, the discussions that people are having. The discussions that people are having about this young girl who is now showing to be pregnant and she's not married. Now, she's engaged to a fine man, Joseph, but they are not married. And the problem with that is we find in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 23 through 24, it says this in the, in the law of Moses. It says this, if a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate in that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. Mary is very familiar with the law, as most Jews are. They have to study the Torah, the first five books. And in fact, history tells us that 
that Jewish people, they, they actually memorize the first five books. They memorize the law. Mary is very familiar with this. And she comes back after three months, she's showing. Can you imagine the discussions that's happening in the town? Can you imagine the accusations that are happening? Again, what did Mary do to deserve this? Nothing. Nothing. She was chosen by God. And so Mary had false accusations. She had people talking about her because people will know that she's showing and she's pregnant. Now, Joseph went ahead and, and married her and, and probably said that. Now, ultimately, at first, Joseph didn't want to marry. In fact, he wanted to quietly divorce her. But an angel appeared to him in a vision and said, hey, dude, here, here's what's happening. You need to you know, go ahead and, and, and marry her and, and have her as your wife. Everything's fine. And so Joseph did that. But the questions that Joseph had, relatives had, other people in the town, they looked at this with false accusations, with accusa accusing her of sleeping around. Now, no one wants to be accused of that, especially if you had done it. And so Mary was facing, facing that. Now, why did Mary go to Elizabeth? She probably considered Elizabeth someone who, who walked with the Lord, a, a mentor of hers, very close to Elizabeth. She spent three months with her. And so she knew this, that Elizabeth probably had faced accusations of her own. And she's been having to deal with them for a long time. Let me explain. In Deuteronomy, again, going back to the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12 through 13, it says this, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and olive oil, calves of your herd, the lambs of your flocks in the land, he swore to your ancestors to give to you. Obviously, the main por portion I'm going to focus on is he will bless the fruit of your womb. If, if what? What's the determinant? Go back to the beginning of that, of that uh, passage. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, if you follow my laws, if you pay attention and you live by them, then I'm going to bless your womb. What Jewish people do, what natural people do, they reverse it and say, well, the same is true backwards. If you don't follow God's law, then he's not going to bless your womb. Now, that's, that's obviously Old Testament, and that's how Jewish people looked at that. And so can you imagine the accusations that people gave Elizabeth, who was a, a wife of a priest, but yet her womb was closed. God did not bless it. Oh, you don't have any children. Well, you must not be obeying the law. You must not be 
following God's law. You must not have God's word in your heart. You must be doing some things that are causing your womb not to open. We, we kind of have those kind of conversations today, maybe on a different subject matter. Oh, there's bad things happening. Oh, you must, you must not be following the Lord. Now, people that aren't saved and are doing evil actions, of course, they're going to have consequences, and we know what those are. But when bad things happen to really good people, it's easy for people, a natural for people, to jump to the conclusion that they are doing some bad things to deserve that, when all reality, they're not. It's false accusations. And that's what Elizabeth had been facing year after year after year after year. And she's in her old age. In fact, Mary probably had seen Elizabeth face those things. She may have seen the stares, the, the, the hidden kind of conversations, the talk. People are talking about Elizabeth, maybe when she was even younger. And Mary looked at that, and she was admired by that. And she knew when that angel came to her and she was pregnant, she was going to say, how am I going to navigate this? How is Joseph going to know? How are my friends going to deal with this? How am I going to do this? What did she do? She went to someone who knew how to handle it and was handling it herself with God's strength. In other words, she was discipled by Elizabeth. She spent three months with her. Elizabeth, an angel came. I'm going to be with child. It's God's son. What do, what do I do with this? And so she went to be discipled by someone who had already been facing accusations themselves. So how does that fit with our life? Have you ever had accusations? Have you been accused of something? It could be big. It could be small. It could be it could be some things that, um, that you're facing that you just don't know how to handle. What do you do? You do like Mary, and you go be around people who could disciple you and people that can help, work, help you work through it. You know, I, I have those groups. Now, I have our small group, but I'm talking about I have minister groups. I have two different groups that I go and I, I, I hang out with. Uh, other ministers here in Barstow County, and also uh, I'm part of another minister's group at Westridge uh, Church in, uh, in Dallas, Georgia, uh, where I got my training and, uh, for, uh, for church planting. And I'm in these groups, and what I do is I say, hey, what, what do you do if someone in your church says this, or does this, or whatever, and I lean in those guys, those men in my life, because most of those guys have been there and walked through that. Some with mistakes and some not with mistakes, but either way, I'm learning from that. And so I have to do that myself. And so it's very important for you to have someone in your life or a group that you can go to that can help walk you through things. What I love about Mary is Mary did not wait until after she was showing. She immediately went to Elizabeth 
to get counsel, to get advice, to get encouragement, to get prayer support, to be discipled through this process. And so when she came back, she was ready for it all. She was ready for the accusations. So Mary didn't deserve it. It was unfair. It was unjust. So accusations can be unjust, unfair. What's another one that they experienced? A relocation. A relocation. Mary and Joseph, was, they were relocated from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of the census, and it was unfair. Are you kidding me? This is the worst time ever for a census to be made. Mary is very, very pregnant, but yet here we are going from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, a two days journey on a donkey and foot. Why now? What did they do? They didn't fight it. We don't have any, we don't have anywhere in scripture where they, they went and protested the government. Of course, you probably shouldn't do that with the Roman government. But they didn't, they did not uh, counteract that, uh, that law, that decree. They did not try to, uh, try to fight it or to appeal it. They simply trusted that God was behind this. They packed their bags and started their journey towards Bethlehem. What about, what about you? Have you ever been a part of a, a relocation? Maybe, maybe there's a relocation in your job, and it's causing you to go from a day shift to a night shift. Maybe there's a relocation in your job to where maybe there's a, a, demo, a, a demotion in that. Or maybe there's, there's a change to where you're having to move your family or even be away from your family from ex an extended period of time. We have people in our church right now that are walking through that. And I say walking through that very, very well. Why? Because they're, they're grounded in God. They're grounded in Jesus. They put their trust in him. And so what about, let's hit it at home. What about you relocated at home? There are people right now in our church, they've been evicted. Yeah. There are people right now living in a car. Why? Because they're being relocated and it's unfair, it's unjust. They've done nothing to deserve that. Nothing. And it happens. It happens. What do we do with that? What did they do again? They trusted in the Lord, Mary and Joseph. They packed their bags and went down the road and just knew that things would be all right. If you're facing something like that, again, it could be a divine distraction. It could be something that God is doing in your life. Trust in him. Lean on him. Allow him to guide you in that process. And ask for help. We've got people who have, who have opened their home to people who have been kicked out. If you want to open your home, we've got people right now who need a place to stay right now because they're sleeping in their car. And it's just, it's not a good situation. And so 
I would encourage you, for those who are in that situation, whatever the relocation is, okay, job, family, home, whatever the relocation is, my encouragement to you is trusting God to know that he will guide you. You know, Mary and Joseph, they, they made the best of it. They did. As we get into the next unfair or unjust situation at their Christmas time, the very first Christmas, and that is rejection. So we have accusations, we have relocation, and we have rejection. Mary and Joseph were rejected at Christmas. Knocking on the door, wanting to have a place to stay. Remember, a census, thousands of people coming into Bethlehem. Bethlehem's, I don't know how many hotels or inns they have at that time, but they were way overcrowded. And so they asked around for a place to stay. And it was very obvious that she was pregnant. But she, they were both rejected. And so they obviously made the best of it and, and found a stable, found a place where, where they can lay their head and sleep. It's kind of probably similar to, I guess, sleeping in a car. At least it was kind of some, a shelter area. And so they were able to stay there. And of course, ultimately, as we know, Mary delivered Jesus right there. It's like, God, really? Your firstborn son. And it's amazing. But again, it's a divine distraction. And again, it's all part of his plan. And another thing I could think about with this rejection is that I wonder if because they were pregnant, those innkeepers, those people who owned those places were probably like, you know, you look really pregnant. And we don't really want a baby delivered here with this lady screaming for hours and hours and labor pains. It's going to disturb everybody else. You're just going to be a disturbance. So, no. You ever felt like that? Felt like you were an outcast? You were rejected because you would disturb people? You would disturb people. You would disturb the process. You would, you would uh, not sort of fit in. You ever been rejected? Well, I can tell you this. Mary and Joseph were very much rejected. And so, what did they do? What did they do? They made the best of it. Okay, they didn't cause a scene. They didn't, they didn't leave a, a, a bad review on Yelp or Google. They didn't leave a bad review. They, they did not make a scene and start yelling at their, can you imagine? No. They're like, all right, we're good. We're just gonna, we're gonna just settle down here in this, in this stable. We're gonna settle down here in this stable. Yeah, I've, we, we've got people that they, they don't really have a place to stay. You know what? They just, they just settle down where they, what place is open or whatever. 
because they'd just been recently relocated out of nothing they haven't, nothing they've done. It's unfair. It's unjust. And the person, mm, the person who is behind all that, sometimes I'm just, I, sometimes I just don't want to be a pastor. Sometimes I just want to turn the switch off and like just go get a baseball bat, you know? It's unfair. It's unjust. But it is what it is. And these people within our church, they're like, you know what? It's all good. They don't cause a big scene. And those who know who you are, I, I, I acknowledge you and I encourage you. And I want to say that God is with you. God is with you. So when you are rejected, we've all been rejected. Come on. I was always the last one picked on the, the kickball team. Now, I was pretty fast, but I just couldn't, I didn't have the football coordination, you know, whatever, you know? But we've all been rejected. There could be someone here today been rejected for a job that you know you're more qualified for, but someone else got it. And you're like, how did that happen? You, were re you have been rejected. Maybe there's somebody on your sports team, students, or somebody on your sports team that got the position that you really wanted, and you know you're faster, you're stronger, you have better grades, but no, this person got it because his dad coaches on the team. Rejection. It's not fair. It's unjust. And so I want to encourage you. Don't complain when things are unfair. Just choose the next best option and wait. Just like Mary and Joseph. They waited. And in the meantime, during their wait, what did they do? God blessed them with a healthy baby boy who would save the world from their sin. So make the best of it. Wait. Wait. Because your time is coming. And the last thing I want to talk about in regard to an unjust Christmas, an unfair Christmas, is evil intentions. Evil intentions. The, the uh, particular evil intention I'm talking about is King Herod. When King Herod found out that there was a, another king being born in Bethlehem, thank you, wise men, and he found that out, what did he do? He issued a decree that every male child two years and under be killed by the sword in Bethlehem and its surrounding vicinity. What an evil, evil person. Of course, Mary and Joseph, as we know, escaped that because an angel came and told Joseph, hey, you need to get out, like now. They actually left in the dark of night. So they escaped that. But that was so unfair. And think about the families that actually had their child killed by the sword. They definitely didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't even about them. Unfair, unjust, evil in this 
world. You and I, we face evil every day, whether you realize it or not. Some people are facing evil people. They are. They're facing evil people in their lives. But all of us face the enemy, the evil. He is like a lion seeking who he can devour. And so evil intentions is definitely something that can be unjust. Now, consequences because of your sinful actions is something totally different. You need to learn or you need to understand, as we all do, that, hey, I own that. <laughs> that's, that's me. That's happening because of this. I've done this. That's something totally different than the blindsided, evil intentions of people, of Satan, coming against you. And it's unplanned. Unplanned. How did they respond? How did Mary and Joseph respond? They obeyed the Lord's warning and moved away from evil. They separated themselves from evil. That's what we could do. As soon as we realize the evil in our life, we need to separate and we need to cut them off. I actually have people, nobody in this room, but I actually have people blocked on my phone. Why? They're evil people. I don't want them calling me again. Now, somebody in our church. But, I mean, we're all targets, but I'm a passionate community, and I'm definitely a target. And so I'm just like, mm, block. No, we're not going there. We're not going there. There, there, are pe there are evil people in your life you just need to block. Now, if it's your mother-in-law, I'll pray for you. But, and it's not my mother-in-law. She's a saint. But there are people that you need to separate your life from. You know, Mary and Joseph were just trying to start a family. They were starting a family. In fact, they didn't, they didn't even try. It just happened. You know, surprise, you're pregnant. And so they're just, they're starting this family, and, and this evil comes upon them. They're like, what? Where did this come from? We've done nothing to deserve this. And they chose to separate themselves from evil, just like today, our family, as a family, even in our family, our house, it seems like we're always fighting against evil that's trying to come into our house. In fact, a little side note, in January, I'm starting a series that I'm incredibly excited about, and that series is called Guardians of the Family, and it's a play on words of, from the movie Guardians of the Galaxy, but Guardians of the Family I feel like parents and, and, and other people who, who raised the family in that dynamic, in that circle, it's like we're, we're guardians of the family against the evil in this world. And so what does that look like? What are some practical applications, all that kind of stuff? That, that's in January. I can't wait for, for that to begin. I'm excited about it. But that, that is real, y'all. That is real when evil is trying to come into your house and you've done nothing to deserve it. In fact, you're trying to block it. 
and yet it comes in to our home. So, how does this fit, again, with not only the Christmas story in our lives, and as I close, how does this fit more with Jesus? Do you realize that Jesus experienced those things, his family experienced those things, things as, we have, uh, as we've talked about, like accusations and rejection and relocation and evil intentions. Do you realize that Jesus experienced that in the latter part of his life? Not only did he experience it as a child, he experienced them later on in his life. You know, it was unfair that Jesus was accused for something that he didn't do. Um, he experienced things that were unfair. It was unfair that he had to relocate from heaven to earth because of our sinful actions. It was unfair. Jesus didn't do anything. It wasn't his fault. It was our fault. It was because of our sin that he relocated from heaven. It was unfair that he was rejected and spit upon and continues to do so this day. It was unfair that he had to face people with evil intentions because of something mankind did and not him. He experienced all of those things in a lot of part of his life. Unfair. Why am I being relocated? Why am I being falsely accused of things? Why am I being rejected? Why am I facing evil? I didn't do anything, but yet he never, never said the word, it, these words, it's not fair. Never did. He took it. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. If you're sitting here today and you're like, you know, Frank, I, I've, I've faced some of these unfair or unjust elements in my life, and I'm facing them, some of these even right now. Can I tell you, you're not alone because Jesus knows exactly how you're feeling. He has been through those very same things. And aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful, which I think is part of God's ultimate plan, aren't we grateful that Jesus was despised and rejected and falsely accused and was forced to relocate and had to face evil? Aren't we grateful for that? Instead of him living in, and was born in some major palace and was protected by armed guards and was, was, didn't even face the normal um, evils in this world. So protected from anything that could harm him. No, he was not. And God intended for that. Why? Because when you and I, and he knew this, when you and I will face 
those very same things of injustice and unfairness, we can say Jesus faced those as well. He did. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. So, life's unfair. I understand. Life is unjust. I understand. One of these days when we get to heaven, it'll, it'll all be made right. It'll all be made right. The king of justice will sound forth his just ruling on evil, and it will be forever vanquished from us. And until then, as we face unfairness, injustice in our life, let's do like Mary Joseph did. Let's trust in God, and let's move on to the second best option, and let's lean in on Jesus, and don't make this something cause us to drift away. Now, there may be some people here today who's like, you know, Frank, I feel like I was, I'm rejected by God. Can I tell you something? If you feel like you're rejected by God, that's that's your thoughts being planted by someone else. Um, you can feel a distance from God based upon your sin, but you're never rejected by God. Never rejected by God. In fact, God would rather have communion with you in your dirty, filthy life than you try to fix it on your own. Because that'll never happen. And so, as we, as we close out this time, I just want to encourage you. The unfairness, the injustice that you may be facing. And if you're not facing it now, you will. Study what Mary and Joseph did and plug that into your life. And please don't ever think that God has treated you with these things. This doesn't come from God. This didn't come from God. Now, it came from God to Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but that's so that he can carry the weight and the brunt of all of that for us.